Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you're one of our guests, we want you to know that you are most welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And I have just a few announcements to pass your way. Um, the first one um, is today we will be celebrating communion together. So if you manage to get in the room without walking by this table here in the back to pick up uh, communion elements, you can go ahead and, and go back there and, or send a, a representative for your row um, and have them collect communion for, for, our, for you all. Um, but be sure and pick that up. If you're a, a guy, coming up really quickly is the men's wild game dinner. And you can still sign up for that um, through our website or through church center. Um, either one of those pathways will get you to the sign up um, to let us know that you'll be coming and what you'll be bringing, a wild game dish or a tame game dish. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I did it. Last week, we uh, had a lot of confusion, so I, I rehearsed. Tame game. It's the space in between those words that makes it possible. <clears throat> Tame game. Yep. Okay. Um, and then the last thing is, um, if, you, uh, if you would like, please make pa uh, plans to join us this afternoon at 3 o'clock. We're going to be in this room to celebrate. Um, our dear friend Bill Begin, um, um, who passed away recently. So at 3 o'clock this afternoon. That's all I have for announcements. Um, let's stand together and we'll begin our time of worship.
sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy. do come to you this morning and we are so thankful that we can come as we are 
because some of us are filled with happiness and some of us are weighed down with cares. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are weary with grief. But all of us come to you today, God, and we ask you to strengthen us with your word. Thank you for loving us, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. the privilege of observing communion. So as Chris said, if you haven't uh, gotten the elements yet, they are at the table in the back and you can head back there and uh, pick some up. And uh, we invite, it's an open table to everybody that's placed their faith in Christ. And we invite uh, parents to oversee the worship of their children. In fact, this morning, I want to use a couple of passages to get us thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Paul uh, gave us the institution of this ordinance that the Lord had given him over in 1 Corinthians 11, he said that this proclaims his death until he comes. And um, we are talking about his death because of our need. And so I want to look at a couple of related, a couple of uh, verses that mention children that show us our relationship to uh, the Father in our natural state uh, before Christ and in our spiritual state having received Christ as Savior. Uh, the simple gospel is this, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin in your place, was buried and rose again from the dead. And you ask him to enter your life. You commit your life to him. He forgives your sins. And he gives you the free gift of eternal life. That's by him entering your life to lead you. So I'm going to point our uh, thoughts to Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 to begin with. And this is how we were described before Christ. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Our distinctive trait was disobedience. We were enslaved to sin. And the result is that we lived like this. And this is what Ephesians 2.3 says. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We put ourselves at, our, at the center of our lives and we pursued our own desires. Without Christ, our natural state is to be a child of wrath. Disobedience and unbelief lead to the wrath of God. We were not described as having a relationship with God, but with his wrath. The relationship of child to father is also used to celebrate our relationship with God after placing our faith in Christ. And this is what we read in the Gospel of John. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Isn't that wonderful? To have our sins forgiven, to receive the free gift of eternal life, and to be called a child of God. The cost of sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But the gift of salvation is free because Jesus did all the work for us. He paid our debt of death by dying as a sinless substitute for our sins. He was buried and rose again from the dead. When we believe in Jesus as the Son of God who paid the price for our sin and rose from the dead, we received the free gift of eternal life. Our sins are forgiven, and he enters our life to lead us. I'd like for you to take a few moments now to meditate, perhaps on our state before Christ, but definitely in our state after Christ, and to give thanks for his death and resurrection and the fact that he has changed your life from the inside out. I'll close our time in prayer, and then we will take the elements together.
Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being called your child. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you through faith in you. We thank you for your grace in paying the price for our sin, breaking the power of sin, and offering forgiveness to all who trust you. It's a horrible thing to think of the helplessness of a child who deserves only your wrath. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you offer us life because you paid the price for our sin on the cross. <clears throat> you were buried and you rose again. And we give you thanks that you did this out of your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to try and uncover your wafer there, which represents the body of Christ. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 11 earlier, so I'm going to go ahead and read from that passage as opposed to the Gospels where Jesus is speaking, but here he's speaking to Paul. And this is what Jesus says in 1 Corinthians 11:24. So this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer together. Now, if you'll pull the lid off the cup. Scripture tells us that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And Jesus tells us that this cup symbolizes his blood shed for us. These are the words of Jesus. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant. Thank you for inhabiting us through the Holy Spirit and for life abundant through you. And we ask for grace to live under the same power that in which you raised from the dead. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. You can set your cups on the floor and we will dismiss our Sunshine Kids children to SKC out this door. And if you're a guest with us, they are kindergarten through grade five and you are welcome to go out and meet the staff and see where they'll be for you to pick up. There's a beautiful scene, an intriguing scene, in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's in the second book, The Prince Caspian. Where the children have not seen Aslan, the Lion King, the hero, their champion, uh, for quite a while. And then Lucy encounters him. And this is the dialogue that takes place. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy at last. Welcome, child, answered he. Aslan, you're bigger. Aslan replied, I'm bigger because you are older. Not because you are older? No, because I am older. And every year that you grow, I will become bigger. Since Aslan is C.S. Lewis' representation of Jesus Christ, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful description of Christ. Getting to know Jesus and finding him bigger. Do you remember things 
from your childhood that seem so much smaller now? I, uh, I used to be a stuntman. I don't know if you knew that, but when I was about eight years old, I used to love jumping off the roof of the house, which seemed two or three stories high. And uh, you know, I had to jump past the bushes there, the hedges next to the house, and, and land in the soft St. Augustine grass, and then do a couple of somersaults to make it authentic. And, um, you know, I just felt like king of the world being able to do stuff like that. And, and a few decades later, when I drove past the house with my children to show them where I grew up, grew up I, I, I kind of uh, chuckled to myself because those eaves couldn't have been more than eight feet off the ground. And uh, it wasn't near the uh, daring adventure that I thought it was. Isn't it like that? When we go back home, things seem smaller it's because we have grown and we have become bigger and we begin to see things in their proper perspective. Aslan is different. Representing Jesus Christ, he is different. Lucy encounters him and finds him to be bigger. That's how it is with our Jesus. Every year that we grow older, he seems bigger. As we walk with him, as we come to understand him, as we come to know him and come to love him more and follow him more dearly, Jesus becomes bigger to us. There is always more of his character to rejoice in. There is always more of his love to experience in our lives. There is always more peace that comes through the power of his presence in new situations. And so as we walk in our faith with him, we get to know him in bigger ways. No matter how mature you are in your faith, Jesus is worth knowing and getting to know and rediscovering on a daily basis throughout your life. That's the purpose of this sermon series we're in. We titled it, Hello, My Name is Jesus, with the tagline, Do You Know Him? We want to enlarge our understanding of Jesus as we get to know him through these different passages and today we're going to do that through an encounter that Jesus has with children. As we begin to understand a little bit more, we see a different side of Jesus and his emotion and what drives him. We see some clarity on the gospel that's extremely important to him. And we see his tenderness and his loving embrace. So I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We want to find him ever more wonderful, ever more powerful, ever more worthy of praise. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. We'll see three movements. And the first one is this, that Jesus invites everyone to come to him. Jesus invites everyone to come to him. Jesus values all people. He finds everyone significant. And as we look back to the cross, we realize that. We recognize that he died for the entire world. Everyone ever born had that supreme manifestation of Jesus Christ to look back to. His arms are open to people, especially to people that we might disregard or ignore. Jesus has wide open arms to them. And that's what we see in this passage with the children. Mark uh, points us to Jesus' view of children in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. This is what we read. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
So parents and siblings are bringing their children to Jesus. This was a customary tradition. You would bring your children to the rabbi, and the rabbi would place his hands on them and bless them and, and call out a future destiny for them and, and ask the Lord to be part of their life and bless them in whatever way that he wanted to. So maybe some of these people had heard of Jesus and knew a little bit about him. Maybe some of them didn't. And I would say that that was probably true based on where they were. But these people come to Jesus just as the, the customary rabbis in town, let's, let's bring our children. And the word for children here is not precise. It's actually one of the words that could be used from birth to age 12. There are different uh, words that are used that are a little more precise. Luke uses one for preschoolers. And given that uh, by the end of this passage, Jesus is picking them up and embracing the children, I think it probably is younger children. Uh, maybe it's eight and below, something like that. But these are, these are parents and these are siblings, and they know that Jesus is here. They want a blessing. And so they bring the children to Jesus. Now, to understand the disciples' response a little bit, we need, to, we need to think about the context of the culture. So in the Greco-Roman world, children were not valued at all, all right? The, the father would make the decision upon birth. That child lives in our home or that child is set outside and exposed. They wouldn't kill the child. They would just set them outside, expose them to the elements. Now, unfortunately, there were unscrupulous people who would come by and they would take the boys and raise them to be gladiators and they would take the girls and raise them to be prostitutes. Some would take the children and disfigure them to make them beggars. It was not a culture that valued children. Fortunately, there were Christians that began to go around and pick up the children and adopt them and raise them with love and kindness. But that was the Greco-Roman culture. Now, we know in the Jewish culture that they, children were cherished, right? Psalm 127, Deuteronomy 6, we see throughout Scripture that children were paid, prayed for and their children were longed for and children were cherished. But even in the Jewish culture, for the most part, they were told to listen, to learn, and to be respectful, in other words, to be seen and not heard. And it is in this context, under the tense situation of going to Jerusalem, that the disciples decide, for whatever reason, probably that they're not important enough for Jesus, they have such low status, and that Jesus doesn't have time for this, that the disciples rebuke the parents and prevent the children from coming to Jesus. They don't want anybody to get close to him. Well, the time is tense for the disciples. Mark 10 is part of those three chapters in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 8, 9, and 10, that we would call the discipleship section. It's a section where Jesus is traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus is going there for Passover. His disciples are extremely fearful. And they are scared to death because that is enemy headquarters. The religious leaders have already made it known over the past three years that they want to kill Jesus. They want to be done with him. He's a little too popular for their liking. He doesn't follow the law that they teach. And the disciples are scared to death. It's going to be a six-month journey on the way. They're getting closer to Jerusalem. And so, again, we don't know if it's just because of the overall fear or because of the low status of the children, but the disciples are scared. And no one would have seen the disciples' reaction and complained, except Jesus. Except Jesus. Jesus did a slow burn. And this is what we see when he reacts at the beginning of verse 14. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was indignant. Mark's gospel is the one that gives us the greatest sense of Jesus' emotion. 
as you look, as you read through the gospel, you are exposed to about nine or ten different strong emotional responses of Jesus. And this is one of them. He is indignant. He is mad. The, the word literally means much grieved. I would put him in the cycle of anger with grief. This is an injustice. And Jesus doesn't like it. And he's going to speak to the disciples about it. What does it mean for us? Well, I think there's direct application, certainly for the passage itself. As parents and as a church family, we have a responsibility to bring the children to Jesus. We have a responsibility to expose them to the gospel, to model the love of Christ for them. To help them understand Jesus in greater ways so that they want to worship him. To help make them more aware of his experience in their life on a daily basis. That's certainly a direct application for us. Because we are going to see, even in verses 14 and 15, that, Jesus, that children have the spiritual capacity to trust Jesus. We know that from scripture. Many of us know it from experience as well, having trusted Christ as a child. So here we are. Jesus is indignant at this injustice, and we have to make sure that we are not the disciples preventing children from getting to know about him. Whether it's in the home, as we read scripture with them, or talk about Jesus or Bible stories, or, or it's in the church, or bringing them to church and allowing them to experience what it means to be a part of a community, which is the body of Christ. That's great joy. I think there's another principle here that is a little bit further back beyond simply bringing children to Jesus, and that is, I think we can say that Jesus is non-discriminatory here. These children are viewed as low status. No one would have complained when they saw what the disciples did. That's natural. This is a rabbi. He's a busy man. He's a learned man. And in Jesus' case, he's hustling to Jerusalem. But Jesus invites everyone into the kingdom. And the disciples misrepresent his heart. They buy into the prevailing view of the culture of that day, and they push away the children. And Jesus is indignant. He wants to open his arms to the children. He wants to open his arms to all who are marginalized, who are less than, who are doubters, who are confused about who he is. Jesus did not lose his heart for people. He valued people. So we've got to adopt the same attitude. We've got to learn to love our neighbors and our enemies and people we have not yet come to know. Not just people that look like us and act like us or can help further us in some form or fashion. Like it or not, we are gatekeepers to Jesus. And he would have us swing that gate wide open so that everyone can get to know him because everyone is invited to come to know Jesus. Let's apply that thought in terms of those people. You know what I mean when I say those people? Those people are the people that don't look like us or act like us or sound like us. They may be somebody we see in the news on the other side of the world. They may be the neighbor with the barking dog. But we often refer to those people, in a sense, to dehumanize them a little bit so we can feel better about feeling better than them, elevating ourselves. But we can do that with anyone. It could be someone of a different ethnicity. It could be someone of a different political persuasion. That's real easy in our culture today. We want to be a people that are willing to swing wide the gate of the gospel. We want to be a people that are willing to expose others to Jesus Christ. And so we have to be careful how we approach people, how we talk about people, how we talk to people, so that we are not preventing them 
from hearing Jesus Christ because we claim to be followers of Christ, right? We want to open wide the gate to Jesus Christ. I think that's an application that we find here and a principle that Jesus is non-discriminatory. I'm not saying that we have to adopt the ways of those people. We just have to prevent any barriers from coming up. According to this passage, we've got to be voices for inviting people into the kingdom of Jesus. We must be people whose hearts break for the people, people who would be indignant if we saw injustice going on and people prevented from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants us to represent his heart in the world, and we don't want him indignant with us. He is not happy if anyone is kept from the gospel. Well, Jesus can't allow this attitude to persist, so he's going to speak to the disciples. And that's what we see in verses 14 and 15. Jesus instructs everyone regarding salvation. He's going to tell these gatekeepers not only how to act in his emotion, but mainly what to make clear about people. And he's going to use the children and their faith as an object lesson here. He affirms and proclaims the spiritual capacity of children. He notes their access to them, to him. And he says, and he uses the children as a, an object lesson. And his pur purpose here is to clarify the simplicity of the gospel. In his irritation and his indignance, Jesus gives two commands here at the end of verse 14. He said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. Two commands, allow them to come to me, allow them to keep coming to me, and stop preventing them, stop creating barriers so that these children cannot get to me. That's the purpose of Jesus' commands. And when he says the, the kingdom belongs to such as these, he's not just talking about the little gathering of children before him. He's talking about people who are like children, people who have a childlike faith. And that's what he wants to make clear about the gospel. He wants to make sure that anyone can come to him like a child. And anyone who comes like a child will receive his gift of salvation. We've got to work hard to expose people to the gospel so that they have an opportunity to respond. Brad Hayes shared with me a, a website I wasn't aware, with, uh, aware of uh, this past week, and, and I'm going to share it with you. It's one that you might want to look at later in the week and, and even register for. Uh, but it's a very interesting concept. When you register for it, then they send you five names a day of people that live in your neighborhood. They use public records. And this gives you the privilege of interceding on their behalf, of praying for them that they might come to know Christ with the ultimate goal of caring for them, sharing the gospel, and perhaps even discipling uh, them to Christ. Uh, this is gold for us. We live in an older neighborhood where many of the people don't get out much. And so we rarely get to uh, see them. And so it's an opportunity for us to find a way to expose people to the gospel, even if we're just starting with prayer specifically for them by name. I offer it to you. I'm going to use it to explore how the Lord would have us uh, serve him and reach out to the people in our neighborhood. And obviously it's up to the spirit to work, to bring about uh, opportunities to share the gospel and to keep us bold enough to do that. Jesus went on to explain the nature of receiving the gift of salvation. This way he says in verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Don't receive the kingdom like a child will not enter it at all. He's not talking to me being childish here. He's talking about being childlike. And when Jesus says, truly, I say to you, he's saying, listen up. This is important. And so we want to grasp what he's saying here. By receiving the kingdom, Jesus means welcoming the king into your life. No one will get into the kingdom of God unless he or she receives God's salvation like a child. Jesus has said the little children, let the little children to come to him. He points out that no one can come to him unless they're like a child. 
God's kingdom is not gained by our own goodness. It's not gained by what we can offer God. It's not gained by how we have lived our life. We have to come to God like a child. What's one of the key characteristics of a young child? It's just a helpless dependence. Certainly there are other characteristics like a deeper trust in their parents and an innocent trust. But one of the greatest characteristics of a child, especially when it applies to us spiritually, is the idea of helpless dependence. That there's nothing we can do for our own salvation. That we want to trust Christ. We've got to trust Christ. We want to lean on him. The the disciples here thought children cannot come to Jesus until they're grown-ups. And Jesus is turning that around and saying, grown-ups can't come to me unless they are childlike in their faith. My daughter Karis gave us an illustration of this when she was a preschooler. She was out on the driveway with mom, with my wife Gwen, and they were looking at the stars and the moon after dark. And uh, in her little preschool way, she tells mommy that she wants mommy to get the moon for her because it's beautiful that night. And Gwen says, well, mommy, mommy can't get the moon. Mommy can't reach the moon. And Kara smiles and says, Daddy, get it. (laughs) At the time, she didn't know I couldn't even reach the top shelf of the kitchen cabinet. (laughs) But there was a a, a childlike trust there. There was a helpless dependence. She knew she couldn't get the moon. And she was willing to trust someone else. And on top of that, she put no limits on me. I think that's one more characteristic of a childlike faith, that we put no limits on God. We trust him out of a helpless dependence, and we put no limits on what he can do in our life. Adults aren't that way. We're too proud. We're too skeptical. You know, you give me something, what's your angle? I've got to reciprocate. I've got to give something back. What's the catch? Nothing is absolutely free. Well, the gospel is. The gospel is free because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He did all the work, and we simply place our faith in him. And because of his sinless sacrifice, our debt is paid. And not only does he cancel hell and guarantee heaven, he enters our life to continue to transform us from the inside out. The gospel is free. I want to go over to... Paul's words in Ephesians 2, another passage that you're extremely familiar with, but I just want to see it in this setting. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This is what he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It makes it crystal clear that there is nothing we can do. You can't go to church enough times. You can't give enough money to charities. You can't serve enough hours to earn your way to heaven. We simply trust Jesus Christ because of his grace, his work on the cross for us. Jesus presented the helpless dependence and innocent trust of a child as a way to enter the kingdom of God. We place our faith in him because of his work on the cross and his payment for us. When we trust Jesus in that manner, we become such as these. Jesus is clear. We must trust him for salvation. That is a simple gospel. And the next thing he does is he models his love for us. In verse 16, Jesus illustrates his love for everyone. The supreme manifestation of of God's love is seen on the cross, right? We've talked about that all day. We celebrated it in communion and we declared it, proclaimed his death. The cross is where God's provision met our need. As sinners, Jesus gave himself as a sinless sacrifice on the cross, was buried and rose again victorious over sin and death. And so every one of us looking back to his work can say, Jesus loves me. We can sing with the children, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because of the supreme manifestation of his love for us on the cross. But I like how verse 16 ends this passage. 
because we get a touch of Jesus, uh, a tender embrace here. And I recognize that all of us have a different view of God. And, and that different view of God is affected by all kinds of things. It can be life experiences or our awareness of God in our lives. It could be through scripture and through worship. It could be because of how we view our father and our experience with our earthly father. All of these things come into play on how we view Jesus. I think this verse gives us a course correction in understanding Jesus as we see how he responds to those who are marginalized, those who don't understand him, those who come to him with a helpless dependence, those who are doubters, we might say to, uh, for adults, those who don't have their theology straight. We've seen his anger at the, those who prevent people from hearing the gospel. We've seen the clarity of the gospel, and now we see his tender embrace. And this enlarges our understanding of Jesus one more way. In the midst of his indignation and then explaining how to come to him, Verse 16 says this, and he took them, the children, in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. The word blessing is literally an intensive verb, fervently blessing. And so he didn't do what the normal rabbi of the day did just to lay hands on children that are passing by. He took them up in his arms with a tender embrace to express his love directly and fully and completely for them. And I hope that if you have struggled with your view of God because of anything, any experience, any thoughts, any doubts, that you will take this to heart, that you will picture Jesus doing this with you, picking you up, taking you in his arms with an embrace that expresses his love fully and completely. Throughout the gospel, we see Jesus doing this with people who don't understand him, people who are sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus always moves toward the least of these. And many of us can put ourselves in that position because he wants to express his love and he wants to see us come to know him. As I said, the verb means fervently blessing. And certainly there are all kinds of physiological aspects to being touched with appropriate touch. The oxygen levels go up, the blood pressure goes down, those chemicals in the brain begin to spread through your body, and we relax, and we experience love. Jesus is going beyond that. He doesn't want to just change their body temperature and relieve their tension. He wants to express his love. And that's what he's doing in verse 16 here. I hope we grasp that because this is our Jesus. And this enlarges our understanding of him. He has a self-giving love. He loves because of who he is, not because of what he can get from us. We have nothing to offer him. And he just expresses his love. Jesus loves you. And you can picture this embrace of the children is your embrace. Our understanding of Jesus has been enlarged. We see him as indignant. Maybe you didn't see him as getting angry at injustices. We see him as one who is extremely concerned about anyone preventing people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see him as one who wants to be very clear and help people understand how to come to him, come to him helpless and dependent trusting him because he did all the work for our salvation and receiving the free gift of eternal life and one who expresses his love to everyone, even to the marginalized and the least of these. We've gained a bigger understanding of who he is. We've also gained a method, a manner, an action in gaining even more understanding and seeing him bigger and bigger. And that's by approaching him every day with a childlike faith and trust. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning and the privilege of seeing Jesus with the children. We can identify with children. We can identify with our need of you. And we can identify with injustice. And we thank you that by your grace, we are allowed to see you, Jesus.
as one who loves, as one who is angered at injustice, as one who wants us to know you and to swing wide the gate as gatekeepers for you so that others might come to know you and enter your kingdom. We give you thanks, Jesus, that you love us enough to include us in your kingdom, to welcome us, and to send us out in mission. And we ask for the grace to serve you boldly and lovingly this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
Thank you guys for being here today. Have a good week.